Welcome to the Naples Community Church Podcast with Pastor Kurt Anderson. Thank you for joining us today. We hope you find this sermon inspires you, builds your faith, and gives you perspective to see God moving in your life. We trust God has great things in store for you. Enjoy today's message. Now, dear Father, we are wholly yours. Lord, we, we ask that you would be a loving, caring Father that shows us the way, that encourages us, that disciplines us as necessary, but always leads us in the direction of your will. We ask this even now as we open your word and we pray in Jesus' name. Well, when the boys and James were up here, my daughter was off doing something. I want you to meet Amy. Amy, honey, stand. Stand back. You're, she's back there. So I, uh, I watched her with those three boys. I, uh, of course, I've referred to them as three blonde-haired, blue-eyed little demons. And uh, um, all I can say is it is a... It's a great joy to see my, uh, my daughter and James and those three little boys. This tie I haven't worn since their wedding day, almost 12 years ago now. And, um, and it's one of those wonderful memories that I think we, we have of our family when we see them uh, veering off into life and, and uh, starting life and Two young people, as I've shared before, come crashing together and babies pop out. It's the best thing in the world. <laughs> so it is a great joy to have them. And yesterday, when I was, you know, I was saying I was a bad grandpa, now I'm a bad pastor, because yesterday I was with them all day long. And I'm trying to think, so we're down at the beach, and I'm trying to think, how do I integrate this into a sermon? How can I make this work? And I, I can't think sermon while I'm at the beach with these kids, you know? But, um, but I, I just took it all in. It was a thing of great beauty. And as I will tell, as I've told my, uh, my own kids and I've told grandkids, the most important person in the world is your mom. There is no more important person than your mom. And I believe that to this moment. And that's as I see my own life and as I see the lives of others. They, they, the moms who are doing what they're doing, it's, it's just huge and godly, godly work that they do. And also I just wanted to say, I meant to do, I meant to do um, that particular video some time ago, right after the Super Bowl. And I thought, if I were the NFL commissioner, all I would have needed to do is put a spotlight in the middle of the field and have Andre Bocelli walk out and sing. And the world would have said, phenomenal halftime show. And the obscenities of the halftime show this year were, were such that it was powerful and painful that that we suffered through it. 
And um, so I, I just, I saw Andre Bocelli soon after, just as I was looking for, for videos for the church. And the contrast presented itself to my mind. And I thought, how magnificent. And, and we, we as a people of God, with a single voice, not even needing instrumental support, but with a single voice, can change the world. This morning, I'm going to share for you, with you from the Gospel of John. Ordinarily, we all hear about the raising of Lazarus. This is going to be about that, but it's also the post-raising of Lazarus. It's what the consequence of that was. As the religious authorities were so locked into their own personal agenda and their own personal power and their own, their own deluded self of, uh, deluded self-aggrandizement that, that they thought that the salvation of the nation, not just of Israel at that time, but of all the Jews all over the world depended upon them. The, the deep and profound arrogance that constitutes human pride. And, well, let's, let's hear the text, and I'll tell the story about the, the raising of Lazarus in the sermon. Many people who were with Mary of Bethany believed in Jesus when they saw this happen, the raising of Lazarus. But some went to the Pharisees and told them what Jesus had done. Then the leading chief priests and Pharisees called the high council together. We are, what are we going to do? They asked each other. This man certainly performs many miraculous signs. If we allow him to go on like this, soon everyone will believe in him. Then the Roman army will come and destroy both our temple and our nation. Caiaphas, who was the high priest at that time, said, you don't know what you're talking about. You don't realize that it's better for you that one man should die for the people than for the whole nation to be destroyed. He did not say this on his own as high priest. At that time, he was led to prophesy that Jesus would die for the entire nation, and not only for that nation, but to bring together and unite all children of God scattered around the world. So from that time on, Jewish leaders began to plot Jesus' death. As a result, Jesus stopped his public ministry among the people and left Jerusalem. He went to a place near the wilderness, to a village of Ephraim, and stayed there with his disciples. It was now almost time for the Jewish Passover celebration, and many people from all over the country arrived in Jerusalem several days early so they could go through the purification ceremony before the Passover began. They kept looking for Jesus, but as they stood around in the temple, they said to each other, what do you think? He won't come for Passover, will he? Meanwhile, the leading priests and Pharisees and publicly, had publicly ordered that anyone seeing Jesus must report it immediately so they could arrest him. And then into the second, the next chapter, in the 12th chapter, in the 10th verse. Then the leading priests decided to kill Lazarus too. Lazarus, the brother of Martha and Mary, they lived in Bethany about two miles out of Jerusalem. 
And whenever Jesus and the disciples traveled, he would stay with Mary and Martha and Lazarus, good friends. And so they, they loved having Jesus come. And they had a very special and, and unique relationship. And we will look at Mary next week, Mary of Bethany. I believe that, that these four were very close to one another. And then Lazarus falls ill. And, and Jesus is notified. Mary and Martha send word to Jesus. Martha, in particular, in this case, sends word to Jesus about, about Lazarus' illness. And Lazarus, when he hears of it, decides to wait. He doesn't turn around and go back. He pauses. He waits. And in that period where he delays, Lazarus dies, and he's buried. They would bury on the same day of death, and so he was buried and in the tomb. Then Jesus decides to go back after, G, after Lazarus has been buried. And when he meets Mary and Martha, he sees the deep anguish that they have that they've lost their brother. And, and he goes and, and he enters into this, this context of, of overwhelming loss and grief. And we've all done this before. We know what it is to go into a situation where, where a loved one is lost to family and friends. And it's not that they don't have hope for the resurrection or something like that, but it's a grievous loss. It's, it's what we experience in real life. And Jesus walks in amongst them. And he feels their grief. He, he enters in and he, he participates with them in their grief. And at this point, we have the shortest verse in the Bible. It stands out like a mighty Everest in the midst of the text. The shortest verse in the Bible says, Jesus wept. Jesus knew what he was going to do. Jesus knew the redemptive work of God was going to bring about the resurrection of the dead. So why did he weep? So the scholars ask. The scholars apparently don't make the connection between the reality of human loss and the gathering of people around loss, even though we may believe in life hereafter and life after life. Jesus enters in and he enters into their grief. He's one with us. There's not a moment of emotional depth to which Jesus himself hasn't participated. And so he goes and he's with them. And then they take him to the tomb. And there it is, this massive chasm with a rock rolled in front. The chasm that stands between life and that which is beyond. Even to roll back the stone is to see darkness within. And he stands there with 
family and friends. And he sees that which, for all intents and purposes, the human family knows nothing beyond the, the portal of that grave. Let's face it. We don't see resurrections. We see loss. We see end. When a loved one is lost, we never see them again. So we see as a matter of regular daily life. We see death. Whether it's in the form of leaves falling from trees or or maybe a sweet little animal that wandered out in front of a car. We see it all the time. And so that's what we see. The Apostle Paul says we, we don't hope in that which we see, we hope in that which we do not see. We hope beyond that which we see. But the reality is we live with that, that awareness the awareness of death. And, and so it, it strikes fear in the heart. And Jesus stands in front of it. And then he says, roll back the stone. Martha cries out, Lord, it's been three days we, we really do not want to smell what it's like in there. And they rolled back the stone. And Jesus looked into the yawning maw of death and cried out, Lazarus, come forth. And he did. This one, as Spurgeon says, in whose body the worms did creep and crawl, came forth alive, with the grave clothes hanging from his arms. And everyone saw, was astonished, didn't know what to do, what to say. And Jesus very practically says, well, go unwrap him. Take those lousy grave clothes off. And people saw it, and they believed. They had seen Jesus do all kinds of things, heal the blind and help people walk and unblock their ears. And, and now, Jesus brought back Lazarus from the death. And they believed. And then the denominational authorities said, oh no, this can't be. This is just so wrong. Because if they believe in him, what's going to happen to us? If they go after him, then, well, Rome's going to come in. They're going to send their legions in here. They're going to take us out. They're going to destroy the temple. They're going to haul everyone away. There's going to be bloodshed all over the land. 
And so it's up to us to save the nation. It's our responsibility to save the world. Pride. Human pride. The source of the fall, source of all human fallings, is that we think it's up to us. If it's going to be, it's up to me. Pride. And we all know when we take that attitude, if it's going to be, it's up to me, how, how often we get it wrong and we, we foul things up. And we're not talking about non-essential things like just getting some certain things done. Like every, every morning when we, when we come, I, uh, I'm so happy that Ken is out here with his blower and uh, he's blowing off our sidewalk. And I'm just glad I didn't say if it's going to be, it's up to me, but I have been tempted to do that <laughs> instead. If it's going to be, it's up to Ken. <laughs> but the reality is we, we delude ourselves into thinking that things of great moment are our responsibility. And so Caiaphas says, well, it's better than one man die then, then the whole nation fall. Rather one man die to save the nation. Little did he know those were words that were prophetic in an entirely different application of the understanding of what that meant. But so intent were they that as the Passover approached, they decided they were going to kill Lazarus also. Lazarus was as good as a dead man, just as Jesus was. Isn't this awful? It just sounds so incredibly political. So much like what we see happening in our world in different quarters today. Humans thinking that it's up to them and human life doesn't matter. All they have to do is take control and, and, and remove the opposition wherever that opposition presents itself. They have to be careful so they don't give rise to some sort of a civil uprising, but at the same time, we see this attitude time and again in our world. Let's just get rid of them. Get rid of them. And not, not just in the geopolitical sense. But we've seen this in work, the workplace. You've all experienced it some way or another. I mean, uh, and even, even with junior high kids in their little cliques that they form, suddenly a kid is going to be excluded for one reason or another. And and it's a complete loss of a sense of who we are before God and who our brother and sister is in relationship to us and to God. But the Lord's statement about the value of human life is so overwhelming in bringing Lazarus forth. That that is the, 
That's the foundational reality. That people matter. And my power is irrelevant to that of another human being. So many things going on, so many applications that I could pull out here, as we all can in our own minds and in our own thinking. But when we see human pride unleashed, it's frightening, it's terrifying. And instead, when we see simple humility, human humility, bowing before the Lord in anguish and prayer, relying upon God for life and for hope, then we are overwhelmed at seeing what the Lord does. As they were on that day when Lazarus came forth, we can be overwhelmed by the reality of what God does. Even when we pray and God decides to wait, and we don't have that nice, tight association between asking and receiving, but we can know the Lord our God hears our prayers. Now, I don't have permission to share with you what I'm going to share. But it was such a beautiful testimony of faith. Our dear sister, Audrey, in the hospital that night, how many times have I stood over one and seen what I saw in Audrey and lived with fear that this one is lost to us. In over 40 years of ministry, I've seen it too many times. Doctor comes out and says, it's a good thing for fam that families decided to come. And yet there I was at the bedside with her, and Dawn was on the other side of the bed. On her knees, in fervent prayer, tears streaming from her cheeks, her hand lifted up, and she's praying in tongues. It was of such beauty and of such passion and of such power. And it was one of those in which I observed but did not understand. I observed an exercise of faith that was calling life from the portal of death. And then I went out and I saw the other women out in the hallway, oh, pardon me, out in the, the waiting room. And likewise, they were praying and they were weeping. I believe that it was the work of the Lord. That very night, another doctor came in and in essence said, why is she still hooked up? She had a ventilator on. They removed it. She was breathing on her own. And the next day she was talking and smiling. 
I went in to pray for her, and I put my hand on her head, and from the other side of the bed, she struggled to reach out and put her hand on my hand. Life. We are affirmed by our care for one another. If Jesus can come into such a context as I believe he did that night, that Thursday night, Jesus, I believe, was with us, and I believe he wept as those women wept. Our Lord affirms the deep realities of our love and support, compassion, and care for one another. And how does it make a difference? I don't know. How does prayer change things? I don't know. I just know that it does. And that that day is coming. When the Lord says to the entire creation, come forth. And as the Apostle Paul says, and the dead will be raised imperishable. And we live together toward that day when there will be no weeping or crying and every tear will be wiped from our eyes and we will see him face to face. Oh, will you join me in prayer? And so, Father, for the strength of your love, for the faith that you put into our own hearts, for our faith is not an accomplishment, it is a gift. And for the manner in which you reinforce our faith with one another, you give us gifts of humility and joy humor, and you give us that sense that it's not about us, it's about you and about others. And Lord, in in that we are so happy. And thank you, dear Lord, that you call from death life to life. We pray in Jesus' name. If you enjoyed today's podcast, there are a few things you can do. Be sure to subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. For more information, you can visit us online at www.naplescommunitychurch.org. If you happen to be visiting Naples, please drop in for our Sunday service at 10 a.m. We'd love to meet you. Thanks again for joining us. Have a fabulous day.